So uh, as we've been going through this season, the series together, we've been taking each week and I've been sort of offering a, a framing statement, a focus statement that governs the way we're going to spend our time together. And so this week, the, the focus statement reads like this, that God calls me to surrender today so that we can experience a better tomorrow. Would you guys read that with me? God calls me to surrender today so that we can experience a better tomorrow. So what I'm going to do is just make some observations from this text. But before we start there, uh, I want to make sure that you guys have a little bit of a uh, full awareness of kind of how just geeky I am, right? If you know me at all, you know Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. That's like, that's my jam, you know? I read The Hobbit in sixth grade and Lord of the Rings shortly thereafter. Amazingly influential book. Uh, the, when the first movie came out, Fellowship of the Ring, we went to see it in Chicago, a big old, big old cavernous movie theater in Chicago. The opening scene, you know, it shows Frodo sitting against a tree. I just lose it. I'm weeping. I'm just like, it, you know, I'd seen my childhood dream, you know, come to life on, on film. Um, but, but The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings have multiple themes going through them. And every time I reread them, I, I get, I get uh, in touch with a different theme. One of the big themes there is the tension between the desire to stay in one place and the call to adventure. And so there's this great scene in the first Lord of the Rings movie, Fellowship of the Rings, where uh, Sam, who is this hobbit, I'm not going to go into the level of geekiness and tell you what a hobbit is, just wiki it, right? So Sam and, and Frodo are going on this journey, and that there's a moment that Sam stops in this wheat field, and Frodo's just a little bit beyond him, and Sam says, well, this is it. He says, if I take one step forward, I actually think we have a frame from the movie. Yep, this is it right here. He's, he's, he's pausing here and he says, if I take one more step forward, this will be as far from home as I've ever been. And throughout the movie, there's this tension of, of wanting to stay in one place, wanting to stay safe, and yet taking one step forward in courage and in openness and, and just investigating what, the, what mission might have for you. There's another great saying that Tolkien writes uh, in, the, in the series, and uh, it's just basically the idea that it's a dangerous thing to go out your door every morning because you never know what you might encounter and what you might engage and, and start following. And the reason I want to share that with you guys today is because as we get to, as we get to kind of go into these last critical few weeks of, of one mission, some of us are going to be called to take some risks and some steps forward that maybe we've never taken before. Like I know uh, for, for a fact that there are folks in this community, and again, I'm talking to E3 people, E3 folks who resonate with our message, who call yourself all in, and yet you would say, you know what, I've never, I've never engaged financially with the church, right? And the thing that we're, we're asking people to do over this series to, is, to, uh, in, to, is to give generously and sacrificially over three years. Generously and sacrificially. And some of us, if, if I was to be uh, honest with you and you were to be honest with you, you'd say, you know what, I've never actually done that because it's scary. I know a lot of us are, are you know, the, the making ends meet is a struggle. And there's a risk involved with taking a step forward to go, wow, that's a lot of money over three years. And, and I, I want to follow God, but I'm caught between this desire to stay where I'm at and the invitation to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you 
and I'm just gonna put some resources in play for the kingdom. So we're all in that space. And I think that there is something so interesting and amazing about just going on that adventure of generosity. And that's kind of the way I wanna explore this. And if you notice, you know, the, the, the focus statement is God's calling me to sacrifice today so that we can experience a better tomorrow. And I don't know, you know, how much you've experienced this in your life, but I would tell you I've lived enough years at this point to know nothing, uh, you don't move forward in your life unless you're willing to sacrifice something. You want to take a step forward, like physically, you want to get in shape, you want to run further, faster, you want to lift more, you just, you want to make some changes physically, you have to sacrifice time at the gym, a different way of eating. You have to sacrifice the finances to get a gym membership for some of us. You don't move forward in your life without sacrificing something. If you want to, uh, say, kind of uh, aspire to a certain GPA level if you're in school, Sacrifice of time, sacrifice of attention, sacrifice of maybe what you thought you knew was a good study method, but actually you would say, oh, actually there's a better way to study. You have to surrender today so that you can move forward in your life. Now, as church people, there's a, there's a critical additional dimension. And that is, in that statement, it says, I sacrifice today so that we can experience a better tomorrow. And so the people of God uh, have, has always been a community. And so we don't always, when we make a sacrifice for the kingdom, there's a communal benefit, benefit that happens. I make a sacrifice today, but it's also about what the community experiences tomorrow. And that's what we're talking about. So uh, in, in that scripture that Jim read, there's a couple principles that I just wanna uh, extract out of it. But to do that, uh, this is going to be some just straight teaching for just a couple minutes because I want you to understand what's going on in the text. All right, it's being written by a guy named Paul, who's an early church leader. It's being written in kind of probably we think the mid-50s, 55 AD CE. And Paul's writing from a place uh, in Macedonia, we think, called Philippi. And we have a map uh, that I'd like to show you. So Paul was a guy, this is one of his journeys, and he travels around the Mediterranean starting faith communities. He goes to a city and he basically starts a church, a little, a little community of Christian people. And then he gets that church up and running and then he goes to another community. And eventually he starts writing letters back to these older churches that he started. And so um, the two of the places I just mentioned, um, Philippi is up in the really top center of, of the map. Do you guys see Philippi up there? It's named for Philip the Great. He had a son named Alexander the Great, uh, you know, big conqueror of, of uh, ancient history. Now, Corinth, the, let, the people he's writing to, that's like middle, kind of upper half of the screen, right in the middle in Greece. Everyone see Corinth? All right, so he's writing from Philippi to Corinth. He talks about generosity and a gift. And he's talking about the gift for the church in Jerusalem, which is down in the right, bottom right-hand corner. Everybody see Jerusalem? All right. Jerusalem is where the whole thing starts, right? It's where Jesus is crucified. He, he's resurrected there, and the church begins in Jerusalem, and it starts to spread around the Mediterranean. 
It is the mother church, the original community of the people of God, of followers of Jesus. And for a long time, it's thriving. By the time Paul's writing in 55, uh, Jerusalem has experienced a tremendous famine. And so that church that was the center of, of everything is now impoverished and struggling. And so what Paul is actually doing is he's going to the people of God in Corinth and actually in Philippi, and he's collecting an offering to send back to Jerusalem. Because in Paul's eyes and in our eyes, we're all one family. And if one part of the family is suffering, the people of God need to step up and help. In fact, so much that uh, the first principle that I would say that comes out of the scripture is the principle that the church and the people of God grow and are cared for by the generosity of God's people. You see, when, when Paul goes out and, and starts churches, that is done based on the generosity of the church of Jerusalem and other people. And then Paul's writing and said, look, the church is hurting now back in Jerusalem. We have to care for it. And if you're here for the first time as a guest, or even if you're not, uh, I don't think it's any surprise. Like we, we don't sell anything here. We don't have membership fees. The church exists and it grows and it's cared for because of the generosity of the people of God. If your life is falling apart and you ask to sit down with me or Pastor Lori or, or somebody else on staff, you're not gonna get a bill at the end of that hour or two hours to say, well, this is our fee. Just you know, put your check in the offering pyramid. If you go through marital counseling with one of us, you will not get a fee, uh, a bill for that. We do this because we are called to this ministry and the church grows and is cared for out of the generosity of the people of God. So Paul is just saying like, look, there's a part of the church that's in trouble. And Philippi, which I, I wanna tell you, we, we can kind of infer this because of what he writes. The church at Philippi is not a wealthy church, especially compared to Corinth. Corinth has some deep pockets. And Paul's saying, look, uh, Corinthian people, you're wealthy compared to this church in Philippi and the Philippians are stepping up to the plate and they're killing it in generosity. And they're helping out the church. And that really brings us actually to the second principle that I wanna kind of highlight. So the second principle that Paul mentions here is the idea that generosity is always rooted in the character of Jesus. And it's rooted in who God is. Paul says in, um, in verse nine, he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, he became what? Poor for our sake, so that you could become rich through his poverty. You see, we've experienced the idea that Jesus was literally the son of God. He was literally 100% God, 100% man, and yet he gave himself as a gift to the world, so much so that he died. And when Paul starts talking about generosity, he's not talking about, like, look, you don't do this because I'm telling you to. You don't do this because I'm nudging you or I'm pushing you, I'm pulling you. You just go look at what God has done for you and who he is. And you look at what Jesus gave. And he says, look, Jesus became utterly poor for your sake. And now pay it forward, Corinthian church. 
And just real quick, uh, I want to kind of mention, I, I love what Paul does here where he's like, look, again, um, Corinthians, you got some resources. Um, can I tell you about that poor church in Philippi? They're really doing good, Corinthian church. Maybe you should uh, kind of step up and, and give like the Philippians do. And, and what Paul's doing is just a, is, is a really good old-fashioned challenge. And sometimes a challenge is a good thing. You know, if you guys uh, knew us when we moved here, you knew that we, we moved here with an antique Coke machine from about 1940, 1950. And that Coke machine just was kind of a part of our family. My parents gave it to us, and we took that Coke machine from, from Texas to Chicago, where I hauled it up three flights of stairs into an apartment. We took it from Chicago to Denver, from Denver back to Chicago, and then eventually down here. I moved that Coke machine all across the country. It weighed about 300 pounds, but eventually I got smart. And so if you helped us move while we lived in Tallahassee, because we've moved a couple of times, what started to happen is that people would show up and, and I would just be standing there and they'd be like, oh man, that's a cool Coke machine. And I would just go, you don't want to move that Coke machine. That Coke machine will eat your lunch. Don't, it's too much for you. And if I did that, I guarantee that there would be two or three people be like, well, I'd have moved that Coke machine. And I'd be like, oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> I did not move that Coke machine one time while we lived in Tallahassee. Because I knew if I just laid down the challenge, somebody would step up. Paul is laying down a challenge to the Corinthian church and saying, will you step up? Will you step up to help because the church grows and is cared for by the generosity of God's people. And then the third thing that is, that is uh, woven through this text, and this is really important, really important for us today, is this whole last section from, from verses 10 to 15, Paul just kind of says, look, especially here in um, verse 13, it's not that we want others to have financial ease and you have financial difficulties, but it's a matter of what? Quality. At the present moment, your surplus can fill their deficit so that in the future, their surplus can fill your deficit. And in this, in this way, there's equality. As it is written, the one who gathered more didn't have too much and the one who gathered less didn't have too little. Basically, Paul's just saying, look, you know what it boils down to? It is boils down to do your part. And I would add to that, do your part for your season. And we've been, uh, we've been coming back to this theme of like, when we start talking about coming together in unity to provide for the next season of life at E3, we don't expect everybody to give equally because we're all at different places in our lives. We have students, you know, who are, who are like, you know, they can't, they couldn't pull, you know, a penny out of their pockets. We have people who are in places where like, you know what, I actually have some assets, some, some resources that I can put in play for the kingdom. We don't expect equal giving. We are calling for equal sacrifice. What's a sacrifice to my family is not a sacrifice to you and vice versa. And Paul's simply saying, look, it's a matter of equality. Do your part for your season of life. A couple years ago, um, 
Shane and I took, uh, we took the family to Europe for our 20th wedding anniversary, trip of a lifetime, you know? And uh, we went to Great Britain, we went to uh, Paris, and, um, and, and there, you know, you kind of always have to do the cathedral thing, and we went to Westminster Abbey, um, a couple other ones, and, and I enjoy going to cathedrals just because they're, they're, it, it's, they're wonders of architecture, but they also tell me something about this. All right, so here's a couple of cathedrals in case, you know, just to put it in perspective. These are medieval uh, kind of era. That's uh, Canterbury Cathedral in England. Did not go there, but that's just a tremendous cathedral. Cathedral uh, Chartres Cathedral in, in France. And then the, you know, the, the big one, that's Notre Dame, right? Famous one. Every one of those cathedrals, almost every cathedral that you see in France took hundreds, hundreds of years to finish. Now, now, sometimes, this be, I'll be honest, sometimes walls got knocked down or a fire started, they had to start over. But 200 years, usually, to build a cathedral. I think I read this morning that Canterbury really took like 600. And I hope it's not a spoiler alert to say like the, the, the um, lifespan in the medieval era, not 200 years. But those communities came together for their season and they said, there's a big thing going on here and we probably won't see the end of it. But we're here right now. And this is the part that we have to play. And I, and I think about this, about like if those people, you know, could somehow look down, you know, from heaven and, or, or wherever they're at, nobody could say, I built the whole thing. No one person, not even one whole time community could say, oh, we did the whole thing. But you know what they could say? They could point to a section of the wall and they could say, that's my section. I did that part. They could look at like, you know, the framing of a, of a stained glass window. And they could say, that was, our, that was our town. We did that part. And when we start talking about coming together as a community, look, we're a part of a long history as well. And it's our time. And we will not ever be able to say, anybody in this room say, I did all of it. I built E3 by myself. What we can say is, this was our part of the story. And we did our part. And... Um, you know, we shared this picture before uh, of... of what E3, what was going on at E3 just before it launched. So 14 years ago, there was this moment, right? And we've showed different versions of that where people are coming together to pray. And I, I don't know if you know this, but you know, this is over on our old Mayhan location. Those hands up on that wall, it's not so that the wall, not because the wall's about to fall over. It's because people had written names on that wall. Because E3's always been a place that made room for one more person. And so they wrote names of the people that they think needed to be introduced to this wonderful God that we know. And then they're prayed over those names. And that wall then got, you know, strategically covered up with some corrugated metal. But the people who were there, they knew those names were there. And they're still there now. They're still there now. That, that, friends, that's our history. That's the cathedral that was started. 
And now it's our turn. And um, I stumbled across this quote last couple weeks. Uh, Andy Stanley, he's a pastor up in Atlanta. He has this great little tagline. He says, when your memories um, exceed your dreams, you know the end is near. When all you ever think about is the past, because the past is important. I believe in it. But when all you ever think about is the past and you don't think about the future, you know what? Start looking for a new renter because you might as well close your doors up. When your memories exceed your dreams, the end is near. And we have dreams. We have dreams. And we're running after them because that's where we think God is calling us. Uh, because I'm who I am. I think Bono said it had a great version of it too. Bono said in, in a song called God Part Two, I don't believe in the 60s, the golden age of pop. You glorify the past when the future dries up. And I am standing here in front of you as a lead pastor of this church and to say our, our future is not dried up. It is a rich, running, flowing, living water stream that we're jumping into with both feet. We are not dwelling on the past. We are honoring the past, but we are moving forward because that's where we believe God is calling us to. And the church grows by the generosity of the people of God. It is cared for by the generosity of the people of God. It is not equal gift. It is equal sacrifice. And it's all rooted in because who God is and what he's done. So before we wrap up, I only have a couple more minutes. I want to get super practical. And so again, this is family meeting time. So I'm, I'm asking for some, a little bit of grace if, if you're here for the first time. For E3 folks, now these pledge cards that were sitting on, your, uh, on the, every other chair or so, if you open it up, you see a couple things, you know, there's information. And, and uh, over here is, is what we call is my One Mission Campaign Pledge. And there's this little list, a schedule of giving First thing I want you to know is this is not meant to be directional or exclusive. What this is meant to show you is the impact of your gift or a range of gifts over three years. We understand a lot of you, you might have to call in between these gifts, but it's meant to show you what your gift can do. All right? Now, next week is what we're calling Commitment Sunday. So if you're a part of the E3 community, I'm asking you to take these, Go home and pray this week and ask God, God, what would you give? What would be my family's role, my role in building this cathedral? And I'm also gonna challenge you to wait to fill it out. Wait to fill it out until the last possible minute. Don't, don't just assume that God's spoken to you and go, okay, I know the number. A lot of us are holding off to the very last moment. We're gonna come in here. We're gonna worship together next week. It's gonna be anonymous and discreet, but eventually we will fill this out, write down a number, and we'll drop it in a place where we can then say, I'm gonna build my part of the wall, right? Now, if you notice, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a place here that says one-time sacrificial gift. Uh, if you guys have been to a dessert night or if you've read the booklet, you understand that that's a, the timeline of what we want to do here is really predicated on how much money we have in the bank. And so I've, talking, I've talked to some of you guys and asked you if you are in a place where you can move some resources to the front of this campaign and say, you know what, I'm just going to provide a gift at the front half of this campaign because more cash up fronts allows us to start the timeline faster. 
I'm just going to ask you to write that figure in as well. And then uh, uh, May 6th, we're calling them lead gifts or first fruits. Bring those that day. And then we will also announce the total number of pledges. This is going to be an amazing time. It already has been. Now, I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable. All right? So I'm going to tell you where Shana and my family are right now. And, and hopefully this might be instructive. If you're processing, like, how do I do this? What are some ways to think about this? Shana and I, um, we are going to give 15% of our savings account as a lead gift. So uh, May 6th, we're just going to take a lump sum and say, here we go, because we understand that we need that cash to start these projects. And over the next three years, we've committed to giving monthly 12% above our normal tithe. 12% over monthly for the duration of the campaign, three years. We're going to do a couple other things too, because I mean, we're not wealthy people. Or, I mean, compared to the rest of the world, we are, but we've got stuff in our house just like you do. So we're going to start selling it. Maybe a child, I don't know. <laughs> but we're just looking around our house and saying, you know, what can we just get rid of and put out on Craigslist and then make those funds available to the campaign? And then the last thing we're also doing is that uh, I don't do a whole lot of, you know, I, used, I play music a lot. I used to play a lot. I don't really do a lot of gigs anymore, but there are still a couple churches that will fly me out to lead worship and, and they give me a nice, uh, you know, reward for doing that. So I've committed to at least once a year doing a gig like that and then making those funds available to the campaign. It's that type of creative thinking that says, I can't give as much as some of you. I can give more than others, but it's equal. That is sacrificial and generous in our family. And that's what we're calling everybody to do. And that's how the church moves forward. Now, one other last component. I should, can we bring that picture of the launch back up again, James? I told you, we're going to do our own version of this wall. You walked in the lobby, and you see this big banner, who's your one more? Well, it's our, it's our turn to write our new names down there. So when I uh, send us out of this space in just a couple minutes, there's Sharpies out there. And if God has already lay, laid a name on your heart, you go out there and you write that name of who you want God to reach through this next season of ministry at E3. And on, on this night of prayer and worship, we're gonna do some version of what you see there because that's our DNA and we're gonna pray over those names that God would do a move in somebody's hearts because this is not about a building campaign. If you think that I'm excited about just doing, just resurfacing a, a, a parking lot, no. But if it gets somebody to, to experience God and change their life forever, yes. It's about people. It's always about people. So, this got laid on my heart this, this week. I'm going to close this way as a prayer. Because we started off talking about, look, generosity is an adventure, and adventures are scary. Taking a first step of giving to something is scary. You have to fight against cynicism, fear, resentment. But we have a long history of faith of people who have stepped up in the face of fear. And I want to read uh, something that got uh, read to me probably 15 years ago. 
And uh, all we know, all I know for certain is that it comes from, we believe in a, a pastor in Africa. And there's some questions as to whether it was from Zimbabwe or Rwanda in, in the decade. So it's somewhat anonymous. But at some point, uh, this pastor was facing a challenge of whether he was going to run the other way or whether he was going to step into this future. We believe, as best we could tell, he was martyred. And ever since, the, ever since I heard it, whenever I think about coming up against something that it takes courage to take a step forward, I think about this. So I'm going to read this to you. And, uh, and then I'm just going to send us out of here to go write our names. So again, think about this. Courage to adventure, taking a step forward, risk, fear. This is what this pastor wrote. I am part of the fellowship, uh, fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, rewarded, or regarded. I now live by faith lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. It takes courage to move forward. But God is with us when we go. And our legacy of faith calls us forward. Amen? Let's stand up together.